Good afternoon. I want to say thanks for sticking around after that great meal we've had. Somebody asked me if I ate too much, and I was scared to answer truthfully, but um, definitely a lot of good food. Thankful this opportunity to uh, worship God again together. Continuing our series on the uh, small verses, big lessons in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and the verse we're going to be kind of zooming in on is there in verse number 25. Pretty simple request by Paul. He says, brothers, pray for us. Just a reminder about the book of 1 Thessalonians. Paul and his traveling partners went there in Acts 17, 1 through 4. They stayed in the synagogue three Sabbaths, preaching the word of God. Some people converted. It says a lot of the believing Greeks converted. A lot of the um, leading women in that area, influential women, ended up converting. But he was a jealous mob formed and chased him out of town, and he went down to Berea, where he found the Jews to be more noble because they sought out the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. Paul ended up going to Athens, but sending Timothy back to Thessalonica. Thessalonica, I mean, Timothy went there, saw what was going on there, brought a good report back to Paul, so then he writes this first letter to the Thessalonians. A couple of things they struggled with. One, the return of Jesus. What happened to our brothers and sisters in Christ who had died before Jesus returned? Paul teaches them a little bit about the resurrection, and it seems like they may have had some struggles, too, with uh, different uh, physical sins there in 1 Thessalonians 4. But in 5, verses 25 through 28, as was read, he's really wrapping up the letter. And some of um, Paul's outros can be pretty lengthy. This one's pretty brief. He just finished talking about these final encouragements, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and then he quickly changes gears. He says, brothers, pray for us. So you've got a request for prayer. And then verse 26, you have a request for fellowship. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Verse 27, you have a request to have the letter read. Notice what he says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. This is something Paul wrote seriously. This wasn't just his opinions that he was spouting. This was the very word of God, and he wanted to make sure that all the Christians there heard what was written. And then you've got his final farewell and a request for grace. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's the end of the letter. But we're going to zoom in there in verse 25, pretty short verse. We touched on those other short verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, but where Paul says, brothers, pray for us. Some lessons we can learn from that. The first one, somewhat implicitly, is that prayer works. I hope you can follow me in this way of thinking. Why would Paul request prayers from a group of pretty immature Christians if he didn't believe in the fact that prayer actually works? That's part of why he requested this from the church there at Thessalonica. Uh, Notice with me in your Bibles, if you would, James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And James has something to share with us about the power of prayer, that it actually works, that it can be effective, that... Our prayers can change things, and that God is indeed listening. James 5, verses 16 through 18. And there we read, Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So James says you ought to pray for one another. He says that 
when a righteous person prays, there's great power as it works. And he gives the example of Elijah. Elijah, a man with a nature like ours. He wasn't supernatural. He wasn't uh, some kind of demigod or anything like that. He was a man who followed God, believed in God, and did God's work. And he prayed, and God was listening. And God delivered, and it did not rain for three years. There's lots of different examples of prayer working. I think a couple that come to my mind in the Bible, one is Elijah raising that widow's son. Remember, he comes upon this woman, this poor woman, and her son had died, and he prays out to God and spreads himself over the boy, and the boy raises from the dead. I also think about King Hezekiah extending his life, where out of his foolishness, God says, uh, you know, you're about to die. He gave him a pretty specific amount of time left. Hezekiah prays for the, toward the Lord, asks for mercy, and the Lord extends his grace. Indeed, prayer does work. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, I think, whenever I start to doubt the power of prayer, whenever I doubt whether or not prayer is really worth it, Ephesians 3.20 is what helps me the most. If you would turn there and read that with me. In Ephesians 3.20 we read, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul there describes God as the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we think and all that we ask. And that same power with which he's able to do that, Paul says, is working with us as Christians. Paul says that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask. One preacher said one time, sometimes... We don't think very much and we ask even less. But we need to keep in mind the fact that in Christ we've got this access to the throne of grace, to God the Father, and he's listening. And prayer does work and it can work. And I think if you're like me, you can think about times in your life when prayer has indeed worked and made an impact. Uh, one thing I think of just the other day, actually, and you might say, well, maybe this was just a coincidence. I don't know. But it was raining all morning. Uh, yesterday when we were going to do the door knocking, and then at breakfast, Jim prayed that it might stop raining, and it did. Now, you might say, well, that was just a coincidence. Clytron 9 said the same thing. Maybe that's the case. Either way, Jim prayed for it to stop raining, uh, and it didn't. I think about a boy uh, that I went to school with at Fried Hardeman who had cancer, diagnosed with cancer, and it was rapidly spreading, and um, a lot of people prayed for him and he was able to get over it. Uh, now, I think sometimes the answer to those prayers are not what we expect, but God is listening, and prayer can and does work. A couple of things here from the life of Jesus. If you would look in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, Jesus told a couple of parables about prayer and how we ought to do that, more than just the model prayer, as it's often called, or the high priestly prayer in John 17. He also gave some instructions via parables about how his followers ought to pray Luke chapter 11, verse number 5, and this is right after in Luke's gospel that you hear the model prayer, Father, hallowed be thy name, etc. Right after that, he tells this parable, Luke eleven five, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, 
because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, sorry, ESV says he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And in Matthew, uh, Jesus says something similar. Those of you who are evil can give your child, children good gifts. How much more will your Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask of them? There's that word I stumbled over in uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 8. Not a word we use very often. One translation says, they are shameless boldness. So though he won't rise up to give him anything, yet because of his shameless boldness, he will rise and give him whatever he wants. And Jesus gives the example of a friend in bed. It'd be kind of crazy to expect him to get up and do that. But Jesus is saying, just because that was such a bold request, the friend almost feels compelled to go through with it. It's like, I can't believe this guy's asking me for bread at midnight. Might as well do it. If he's going to do that, just some friend, how much more is God, who actually cares about us and loves us much more than a friend, going to respond to our boldness when we ask of him? Notice another parable about prayer in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, if you would turn there in your Bibles. Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And I love when the Bible does this. Sometimes the parables of Jesus are kind of hard to interpret, depending on which one. Sometimes the interpretation is given for us. This is one of those instances. What's the meaning of this parable? Verse eight, chapter 18, verse 1, that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. So the parable goes that, like this. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so she will not beat me down uh, by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? Who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So they are kind of in the context of judgment, but notice the purpose of the parable, Luke 18.1, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Why? Because God is listening. If this godless, um, kind of brutish king is willing to give this widow's request because she asks him, how much more is God willing to request, give the requests of those who ask him as his children? He is listening and he can act. But this doesn't mean that prayers will always be answered, but that shouldn't deter us. Notice 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. And like me, if you can think of times when God has answered prayer in a positive way, you can also think of times when maybe the answer to your prayer isn't exactly what you thought it would be. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, remember it says, Paul says that God gave him a thorn in the flesh so that he would not be arrogant. And then in beginning in verse 8, Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul prayed, it says, three times to God that this thing that was hurting him would leave him. And the answer he got was, my grace is sufficient for you. I think from God's perspective, you see it was better for Paul that his prayer be answered in that fashion. Because then he could learn this important lesson lesson of being content with weaknesses, this lesson of relying on the strength of God in times of personal weakness. But it didn't deter him from ever praying again. It didn't deter him from keep on living his Christian life, even though God wasn't going to take away Paul's thorn in the flesh. So for us who hopefully believe in the power of prayer, we ought to be constant in it. There's no thing too small or too big to pray for. And we shouldn't allow unfulfilled requests to keep us from praying boldly and confidently. Paul had been told no by God multiple times. He still requested prayers from his brethren. He still prayed himself. So prayer is powerful. The next lesson from this is that prayer should be requested. Kind of a no-brainer, but nevertheless. Paul made a habit of requesting prayers from the recipients of his letters. And if you're like me, sometimes you view Paul as almost a... Uh, almost a, like a spiritual giant. You know, he just faced all these persecutions, all this hardship, he just stayed with it. He withstood an amazing amount of abuse, of abuse both physically uh, and mentally and emotionally, for the sake of Christ and kept the faith. He did a lot. He wrote majority of our New Testament. But he made a habit of requesting prayers from those he was writing to. He never thought that it was above him to ask for somebody to pray for him. He wasn't worried about his reputation. What if I ask for prayer from these people and they think less of me or they think I'm weak or anything like that? What, that wasn't on Paul's mind. I want to read some of these for you. Romans 15.30, Paul writes, Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. 2 Corinthians 1.11, Paul says, You must help us by prayer to his readership. They had a lot of problems in Corinth. Paul still requested their prayers. In Ephesians 6.19-20, Paul asked for prayers that he may preach boldly as I ought to speak, Paul says. He was scared he wasn't going to be a bold enough preacher. Imagine that. The Apostle Paul was worried he wasn't going to be bold enough, so he asked for prayers from his brethren. Colossians 4, 3-4, Paul asks for prayers that God may open a door for them and that they may be able to share the gospel. Two different occasions, in Philippians 1.19 and in Philemon verse 22, Paul prays that he would be released from prison. Ultimately, uh, at least toward his second imprisonment, obviously that never happened, and he ended up being executed, as the tradition tells us. So we see that Paul had no qualms with asking for prayer, and I hope that we don't either. I know many of us, we ask for prayer, we request prayer pretty frequently, and we ought to. But for some of us, maybe that's something we struggle with. Maybe there's something that lays heavy on our hearts, and we'd rather just deal with it on our own, Maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe we don't want to be uh, dramatic. But if it's been a while since you've asked for another's prayers, ask yourself why. Maybe there's uh, just something uh, in your life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe you're just not quite comfortable. Maybe you don't want people to feel for you. But that's why we're here, to help each other out, to pray for one another, to help each other through the burdens of life. And if the Apostle Paul could request prayers from struggling and even sometimes immature Christians... Certainly we can ask for prayers 
from each other. It's not a sign of weakness. It's something, one of the many blessings of this Christian family that we have. And we are a family. No request is too embarrassing or not worth sharing. We are to love each other. And that should reflect in how we pray for each other and want to pray for each other. Lastly this morning, prayer ought to be a priority. Paul requested prayers as we read, but he also prayed. Look back in our text, 1 Thessalonians 5. And verse 25, he says, brothers, pray for us. But notice verses 23 and 24. We've got a prayer from Paul. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's something Paul is requesting from God on behalf of these Christians. Pardon me. So Paul made a habit of praying, and he also made a habit of requesting prayer. That tells us that for Paul, prayer was a priority. It wasn't just something he could do sometimes. It wasn't something that he often forgot about. It was always on his mind. He was either doing it or asking for it from somebody else. Um, and if you look at the early church, notice what Acts 2.42 says. Acts 2.42. Speaking of these newly converted Christians, it says that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The early church was devoted to prayer. They were sold out on it, if you will. This was something that they took very seriously. They committed it to their lives, and they engaged in it as often as they could. And prayer ought to be a priority for us, just like the early church, just for Paul, something we should take seriously. We're keeping in mind that God is able to do far more than we think or ask, and going to him in faith through the access we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, listen to a couple of these verses. Romans, well, and right there in the text, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Paul writes there, pray without ceasing. Doesn't mean you can't ever do anything else, but you pray so often, it's as if it's continuous throughout the day while you're doing different things. Just if you pray while driving, no need to close your eyes. Keep that in mind. But you can pray at any time. That's one of the blessings of being a Christian. Look also what Romans 12, 12 says. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. This is something Christians are to be about. It's something that they do. Ephesians 6, 18, we're told to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So there we're to be praying at all times, not just for ourselves, but for all the saints, for those around us, for Christians we might not even know. And then Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer was a priority for Paul. It was a priority for the early church. The writers of the New Testament made sure it would be a priority for the church and ought to be a priority for us. A couple of things, I think, can help us cultivate a prayerful life. It's difficult sometimes just with the stresses and with everything that's going on to really sit down and to take the time to pray. Uh, but I hope that it's something that we all, myself included, this is something I struggle with, will endeavor to be more about, to be a people of prayer and to go to God as often as we can on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of others. Two things that I think help create a prayerful life. The first is mindset. The first is the perspective of knowing that God cares, of knowing that God listens, of maybe rereading these parables and seeing that Jesus 
teaches about this bold access that we have to God the Father through him, keeping in mind that Jesus as our high priest is pleading our case, and we can come. He even says in Hebrews 4 that we've got bold access to come to the throne of grace in a time of need, to keep that in mind. One thing that helps us keep that in mind is reading our Bibles, staying engaged with the word, coming to events like this, having the word uh, fill our minds so that we can reciprocate prayer back to God. So beyond the mindset and the uh, perspective, there's also habits. Maybe have a time, a day that you pray. Sometimes you need to force yourself to do something to get into the habit of it. Not that your prayer is rote or meaningless, but you've got to actually think about it and go to God in prayer. We've got a friend who, on his smartphone, he sets an alarm for certain times throughout the day and just leaves those on. And when those go off, he sees it on his phone and he prays. Just a little reminder for him. Hey, pray. There's something on your heart that you need to tell, talk to God about. There's somebody you know who needs prayer. Go to prayer throughout the day. Some people have had great um, success keeping prayer journals, writing down what they pray about and why. Today I prayed about this. This is why. The next day, today I prayed about this. This is why. And maybe some days go by and you don't pray as much. You can see it. You're keeping track of it. Uh, one thing that somebody taught me once is to pray when you hear a prayer request and then say, I'm praying for you. I'm not going to bind that on anybody. But sometimes we say, I'll pray for you, and then we forget about it and we never do it. But if we can say a quick prayer right when we hear about it and say, I'm praying for you, that way we can make sure that we are uh, doing that. Another thing, get in the habit of praying at the first sign of trouble. I don't know about you, but sometimes... Prayer is my option D, E, or F. First, I consult people I know who are wise. Then I talk to, well, I talk to my wife about it first. Then I consult people who I know are wise. Then maybe I'll talk to my parents about it. And then maybe I'll Google a solution to the problem. And then after all of that, then I'll pray about it. Instead of praying first and then going through those different avenues, that's a good habit to get into. Maybe if you can, set some time, some quiet time in your day just to spend with God, to read his word and to pray. Some people have gotten into the habit of praying the scriptures or praying the psalms. When you read those psalms, there's a lot of those that are prayers to God, worshiping God. And you can take those and read them and kind of adjust them to your needs and repeat them back to God and pray those things uh, back to God. Either way, I hope that we can be a people devoted to prayer, not afraid to request it, not, a, not afraid to pray for others, not afraid to approach God, knowing that he cares for us, he loves us, he wants to hear what we have to say, and he's willing to act on it. Uh, if Paul requested prayers, we should too. And there's a great link in the Bible between being prayerful and being blessed. And as Christians, we have bold access, we ought to rejoice in that, we ought to take advantage of it, going to God, knowing that we do have that relationship with him, knowing that Jesus Christ is our intermediary, knowing that he hears us, he listens. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he cares and he is willing to act. But that bold access is reserved for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus today, today is the day to change that, to believe in God, to believe in his son to repent of your sins, to confess his name, to be buried with him in baptism. And when you come up a new creation, you have that bold access with God. Sin separates us from God, but Jesus Christ brings us back together with him. And he is listening, and he does care. Maybe there's a prayer request you have tonight. 
Just like Paul, you have something you need to request. You're saying, brethren, pray for me. We'd love to do that as we stand and sing this song. Thank you.